Hello, it is Sunday, January 17th. I am Trent Reinsmith, and this is another edition of the Daily Come On Now MMA podcast. And I'm going to be honest today, I don't know how much I'm going to get to. I have a lot of topics to cover, so I'm not really going to intro anything here. I'm just going to say, um, check the notes if you want to know what I cover. And if you're watching this on YouTube... Um, again, check the notes and the video will also have the timestamps. Um, so on with the show. Um, first UFC event on ABC took place on Saturday and all in all, I thought it was good. I thought, um, briefly, uh, Daniel Cormier did not do a good job again. And I kind of am at the point where I, I kind of would like to see him, Maybe just work a two-man booth or be removed. And it's, I think he's just become a little distracting. And, and maybe it's just not my style. Um, it was a little too busy with him and Hardy. And I think Hardy does a much better job. And I can understand um, some people will like Cormier because he's more entertaining. And okay, that's fine. But I just don't like the, um, the three-man booth. So that's just something minor really i saw some folks say that the event as a whole was a success for the ufc's first event for abc and maybe maybe uh i'm very conflicted about the main event still and i don't really have a good grasp on how i really feel about it um from a fighting standpoint max holloway looked fantastic calvin cater Landed some heavy punches, snapped uh, Holloway's head back a bunch of times. But I said during the fight, and I stand by it, that it should have been stopped at the end of the second round. I just didn't think there was a a way for Cater to win other than a Hail Mary knockout, which, you know, if you're keeping your fighter in there to take a bunch of damage on a maybe, it, it it's not good. And... Maybe the second round stoppage would have been early. I don't think it would have been. Definitely the fourth round would have been... Uh, uh, you can't say that. It, that wouldn't have been a good place to stop it. And any a, anywhere between the, the second and the fourth would have been ideal for me. I'm one of those people who says an early stoppage is a better stoppage. And with the amount of volume Holloway was putting on him, on Cater, and the damage he was taking... It, it just didn't sit well with me past the second round. And I think that, as MMA fans, maybe we're accustomed to these things and maybe we're accepting of these things a little more so than we should be. Um, but with reading Stephen Morocco's Spencer, um, Spencer Fisher story, you know, the couple days before that, and seeing what he's dealing with because of, um, you know brain injuries related to fighting, maybe we get a little earlier on these stoppages where things don't look good for fighters and they aren't going to come back without some kind of miracle. And for Cater to win that fight, he wasn't going to win on on points. And so at that point, then it's a knockout, which I don't know, you, you really want to 
put your fighter at risk on the hopes that they're going to get a knockout. So maybe this is something that gets discussed um, somewhere with the commissions and the referees and the judges and the doctors and the promotions that if there's not a route to a winning by points and someone's accumulating a lot of volume and a lot of damage by volume, maybe we look at um, ending these fights early. And this goes for the corners too. Uh, their job is not just to train the fighter. Their job is to protect the fighter. And Cater's Corner did a terrible job of protecting their fighter. Um, and that was the kind of volume. It was record-setting volume. And that's the kind of the things that um, take years of fighters' careers and lives. And just because you don't see it doesn't make it acceptable. Uh, and, and I think that's one of the big problems with, with brain injuries. It's you don't see it. Until and when you do see it, the career is over and people just don't care. Uh, but there's not enough money involved and there's not enough post-career uh, insurance or any post-career insurance for this to be worth it. So we need to change the culture a little bit and, you know, protect the fighters, really protect the fighters, not just say they're protecting the fighters. Uh, so I think that's the part that bothered me and I think that's the part where I question if the if the fight was really good for for uh, the first UFC event on ABC, and I don't know, I can't answer that because I'm in that bubble, and to me, I didn't like what I saw after the second round, and I just uh, that's just me, and I know some people are going to be more you know just bleed, just get brain injuries, but I'm not going to do that, and that that was my concern. And anyone that hasn't read that story, I'm going to tell you to read it over and over and over again. Stephen Morocco um, on MMA fighting Spencer Fisher story. So we'll see how um, the ratings went for that. I'd be interested in to see how they how the numbers did during the entirety of the main event, and then I think that'll tell us if it was a win for ABC. Right now, from my standpoint, if I was someone that's not kind of calloused by everything I've seen in MMA I might have turned that off because it was it was just too one-sided and an accumulation of far 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 too many strikes to make me comfortable um, considering you know what I know about the sport anyway that's my take on that but other than that other than the main event probably a success but we'll see We'll see in the next couple of days what those ratings look like and compare them to ESPN and ABC and we'll go from there. Um, but I don't think the ratings tell the full story on that one. The next topic I have here is John Anik was asked about the Dana White's relationship with the media, the UFC's relationship with the MMA media. And I think it was more about that video that was put up where Dana White kind of tried to paint the media as the bad guy when was not true and he took a lot of what was said in the media and turned it twisted it for his own and for his own good to make himself look better and to make himself feel better about some things that maybe the uh, UFC did wrong in the lead up to its events during the pandemic but the video has been taken down and so unless someone has saved it which I hope someone has, and if they have, please send me a copy because I want that um, 
just to break it down a little more. So, the, the, like, the video's down, and um, so Anik, who did work for ESPN before he worked for the UFC, had this to say about it. I think it's unfortunate, and then he, I like what he does here, was he kind of says that, you know, he's got to watch things, and, and you know, he's now an employee of the UFC. Anyway, I will couch what I say by the fact that I turned in my card as a broadcast journalist when I signed with the UFC in 2011 and essentially became a promoter. I will say as somebody who works for the UFC and as an employee, I think a lot of us got defensive that maybe we weren't getting the national credit as a whole for putting these live events on in this climate. And I will say to that, at the start of this, the UFC did not deserve any credit for putting on, on events during the pandemic. Never forget that the UFC and Dana White tried to put the first card on during the pandemic at an unsanctioned, quote-unquote unsanctioned, it wasn't sanctioned by the California State Athletic Commission um, arena. And so that had that gone on, and John McCarthy said this, any referee who, who worked that event was doing so without approval from the California State Athletic Commission and could have been taken off the uh, the call list, more or less. And not just for California, if that kind of suspension or a ban would have, would have carried on to the ABC, that effectively could have ended a referee's career. So, the, so it was not only unsanctioned by the state, but it was going to put... Um, the referees in a lot of hot water had they if they would have worked that, and if they hadn't worked it, who were the referees and judges going to be? So there was a lot of things that went wrong with that, and I think that is where a lot of this whole thing took off. It wasn't that the UFC was putting events on; is was that it was the perception that the UFC was running away from. The, the state athletic commissions and trying to find a spot where they didn't have to go through the state athletic commissions and the state athletic commission's rules. That's what the problem was. And then when it happened in Florida, we saw that the UFC had a good plan on paper, but it didn't stick to that plan. It didn't stick to that plan at all. And well, not at all, but it didn't stick to that plan in a big way in that it let um, someone who had COVID-19 mingle among other fighters and they didn't isolate that person uh, there were folks, Dana White specifically, who did not wear masks. And the fact that more positive tests didn't come out of that event, I think, was more luck than planning and skill. Did things tighten up at the apex? They tightened up. They're still not great. They're good and passable. They don't make me feel secure. I would not do anything if it was up to me. I would not go to um, an apex event. I would not compete on an apex event. Fight Island, I would compete or go to an event at Fight Island because I think the Abu Dhabi government, which is paying for a lot of that in the hopes I can get more um, sporting events over there, I think they do a great job and have done a great job. Apex, no. Fight Island, yes. But anyway, back to back to Anik and this video that Dana White put out. Um, Anik continued, when some of the mainstream sports leagues, for lack of a better way to put it, they would come back and there was all of this fanfare and how they're doing this. Why wasn't the NBA calling Dana White and Hunter Campbell and Lawrence Epstein and trying to figure out what the UFC was doing to try and expedite some of their problems? I did get a little bit defensive and I wanted to see the UFC and not just Dana White, but our executives 
get some credit for what we were able to accomplish in 2020. They give out the Emmys and nobody's acknowledging what the UFC has done from a live production standpoint. And maybe that's a separate conversation. That is a separate conversation because again, when the NFL, when the NHL went to their bubble, when the NBA went to their bubble, they had zero positive tests in that bubble. UFC cannot say that because the apex is not a bubble and everyone knows it's not a bubble. Fight Island, pretty close. I'd say 99% a bubble. The the uh, Vegas, it's not. It's not a bubble. It's not close to a bubble. And that's why, I think that's why no one called the UFC because they saw what they saw. They saw the first try to run away from the California State Athletic Commission. They saw Florida, which came across as a state that was kind of rogue during all this and didn't really fit the bill for at least not early on and that the UFC had done something wrong there and it said it didn't it didn't want to get get in bed with the UFC on this and I don't think that's a mistake because we saw when the NFL I'm sorry the NHL and the NBA did do their bubbles they had zero positive tests so did they need the help of the UFC no they did fine on their own and that's why the UFC didn't get the credit that Anik thinks it deserves because it didn't have zero positive tests in their bubbles. Now, the NBA is screwing up now because they're trying to have a season with travel. The NHL is probably going to have the same kind of problems. The NHL is a little better because they're doing back-to-back games um, and keeping things kind of more limited, but it's still a lot of travel. Not as much as a regular season, not as many games as a regular season. Um, the divisions are different to, to limit travel, but still travel. So I expect the NHL is going to have problems um, as well as, as the NBA. So, And here's where um, and it goes on. I do believe that maybe there were some unfair criticisms levied at the media. It's hard for me to go too far down that path, obviously, but we need the media as much as we need the fans. We need, we need everybody back in that building and nobody will be happier than me, I can assure you, when we have some sense of normalcy. But there's been great support of this organization from a lot of the media members. I don't know them. There's so much noise and toxicity in this MMA space and I've got three kids and I'm packing lunches and I'm out of my scalp. He's trying to keep my damn life together. I get asked about that. And to me, it's just another day in the MMA paradise that we're lucky to have a seat at. I hope things can improve there here in 2021. And here, here's where it kind of goes off on a tangent a little bit, a little bit. I think John Anik's a smart guy. I, I think he does a great job. But I think a lot of this is couched, like he said, in the fact that he is a an employee of the UFC. So is he being 100% honest here? I don't know. Uh, but he knows well enough that he's an employee of the UFC, so he knows that he has to watch what he says. There were a lot of unfair criticisms levied at the, at the MMA media in, in that video. And... That's because I don't think Dana White understands the function of the, um, the media. He doesn't understand the function of folks who at least try to be journalists. It is not my job to blow smoke up Dana White's ass. My What I focus on is kind of the unseemly side of the MMA world, and so people think I'm negative all the time. I'm not. I, I, I'm, I'm, this is what I see, and this is what I, I think, and that's what you get from me. Um, and so when I see the MMA media being 
misrepresented, misrepresented in that video and words being taken out of context and what the MMA media tried to do and expose during this early thing, um, the early days of the pandemic. Yeah, I, I get a little upset about that. And, and rightfully so, I think, because no one was trying to stop the UFC. We were just trying to say, hey, let's slow down. Let's be safe. Let's protect the fighters, the fans, the UFC employees, you know, the everyday folks who need these jobs. Let's protect their health. And then think about business after that. Let's think health and safety and then think business. And, I, and from what I saw, business came first because without an X number of fights, the UFC wasn't going to get that sweet ESPN money at the end of the year. So that was my concern. And my concern now is that the UFC is not delivering a safe product in at the apex. And I think, again, I think luck has a lot more to do with it than anything. They've gotten better, but I still think there's a lot of looseness over there, especially in, in the folks that perhaps work at in and in, in around Las Vegas during fight weeks. Um, the employees, the contractors, anyone that's in and out of that, that area during fight week. There's a lot of movement. And there's, in my mind, there's too much movement in and out of uh, the area. It's not a bubble. It's not a bubble. It, it, it never was. It's gotten a little better, but let's not call it a bubble. And so um, I think White was 100% wrong in what he did. But of course I do because everyone's going to say I'm negative to take the UFC's time and money to make a video to to pat yourself on the back and to malign the media and call the media your enemy when that was 100% not true. It's a bad look. And again, White thinks the media should do only positive press. He thinks the media should just cover the UFC and promote the fights and the fighters and the UFC and Dana White and never question anything and never write up anything bad. And when Dana White comes to realize what the media's job is, then maybe the relationship will improve. But until then, you're going to have folks that are going to be blackballed because they speak their truth and they speak the truth to, to Dana White's power. And... I'm not going to stop that. I'm sure Luke Thomas isn't going to stop that. I'm sure Stephen Morocco is not going to stop that. And Ben Folks isn't going to stop that. Just going to be honest and say, this is what we see and this is what we think needs to be improved. You don't have to like it, but that's the media's job. At least a big, big part of the media's job. And speaking of Luke Thomas, he tweeted something during the post-fight press conference, and I agreed with him on this one. Um, and what did he say? Okay, here's what he said. Anyone at Fight Island going to ask White about that entirely untruthful video trashing them? Like, why did he completely obfuscate the truth to make a point totally unsupported by the facts? Anyone? And if I, re I know what the word means, but I'm not very good at pronouncing things sometimes. But so... Forgive me if that was the uh, wrong pronunciation, but you get the point. And, of course, no one asked that. And Luke followed up, okay, look, 
I get it. Arguing with Dana is useless, even when you're armed with all the facts. You won't get what you're looking for. But can someone just ask him why he deleted it, please? That didn't happen. And um, there's two more fight cards at uh, in in Abu Dhabi that the chance is to ask Dana White this. Will it happen? Probably not. Do I hope it happens? Yeah. My take on this whole thing is that these, just to take off kind of on what Luke said there, is that these folks over at um, Fight Island took what Dana White did, looked at it, looked at Dana White insulting their co-workers because a lot of the people that were there had co-workers. And some of the people that might have been there had had been had places in that video but whatever what happened they accepted what white said about their co-workers about their profession and just didn't make a big deal about it and that bothers me a lot um and they and the reason that it was done it was for access and i i understand it i don't like it one bit uh, but i understand that some people need that access i don't think I don't think as many people who need that act, there's as many people who need that access as they think they do, but that's kind of where we're at. But these folks took what Dana White said and, and more or less accepted it and just, you're going to hear that's just Dana being Dana, that kind of thing. But it, it kind of reminded me of of how Donald Trump te treated Ted Cruz, where he, he said Cruz's father was involved with the JFK killing. He said that, uh, you know, Cruz's wife was ugly and he just shit all, all over Ted Cruz and Cruz came back for, for more. That's kind of how I looked at it. I looked at it as the MMA media was kind of like Ted Cruz and Dana White was kind of like Donald Trump, just shitting on him and treating him like dirt and then using them for his own purposes and the media being okay with that. I'm not okay with that. I still think this question needs to be answered and... I think the question not being asked is a terrible look from the UFC, from the MMA media. And uh, I think this pointed out a, a fact that there is a difference between media and journalism in, in mixed martial arts and that a lot of people are just media members where very few do or even venture into journalistic work. Um, so I think there's a difference there and I think we saw that difference in how this was handled and who didn't speak up and I'll be watching this. I don't think anyone gives a shit that I'll be watching it, um, but I will be and it didn't make me feel good about the people that were on site at Fight Island and who have access to Dana White to ask him these questions because that's something that needs to be asked and White should answer it and if it gets contentious, the media just, you know, doesn't buy into Dana White's bullying. It was a bullying video. It was a bullying move. And by not questioning it, not bringing it up at all, the media let White push them around once again, which is kind of his M.O. But we'll, uh, discuss, I'll discuss this further um, at a later date. Um, the big Habib announcement turned out to be nothing. And from Dana White's body language and the things he said, I do not think Nurmagomedov is going to come back. I think the body language and the tone said that White was just kind of saying stuff to kind of keep interest in that. And I don't think 
I don't think Poirier or McGregor can do something spectacular to draw Nurmagomedov out of retirement because he beat both of them pretty decisively. Charles Oliveira would be a different fight, but I don't think the name's big enough to get him out. And White's remark that GSP isn't interested in this fight and that he had heard that he wasn't interested kind of rang false to me because the day before, St. Pierre actually said that he was excited about the thought of a Nurmagomedov fight, but we know the real reason is probably that the money's not going to be offered for St. Pierre or Nurmagomedov to, to fight that uh, fight, even though it would be huge. It would be bigger than a McGregor-Nurmagomedov fight for sure. Um, yeah, everything that White said kind of rang hollow to me during that big announcement, um, quote-unquote big announcement. I didn't believe it. I don't believe it now. And I just it just didn't work for me. And I think it was just a marketing ploy to get people interested, to get people to tune into the ABC event because they said it was going to be delivered at the hot, at the start of the event. It wasn't, it, so it had to keep people tuned in and then the hope becomes, all right, they stick with it because they they were already in for the first half hour. And, you know, I think it'll be another reason for folks to perhaps buy the pay-per-view because, you know, now they got something to fight for, which is a possible fight against Nurmagomedov. I don't buy it. I don't buy it one bit. I think it's all promotion and all bluster. And I hope, I, I just, I not only ho think that, I hope that because um, he's retired, gave his mother his word. His father's no longer alive and can't corner him. And I think the love of competition went away when his father died. And I just don't, I, I hope, that he stays retired. He said he was retired. Dana White has always said, if you are thinking about retiring, you should do it. And so he did it. There's no reason for him to come back. He's not someone that doesn't, he's not someone that seems motivated by money. And I don't think White can entice him with money. I don't think White can entice him by trying to bully him. But I think these are the things that White's going to try and do. And... There's just no reason for it. And I hope that Nurmagomedov sticks to his guns, stays retired, and that White has to eat this one uh, because there was no reason for him to force Nurmagomedov into this kind of situation. Had he wanted to come out of retirement, if he ever wants to come out of retirement, that's his choice. It's up to him to pick up the phone and call White. If he doesn't do so, he stays retired. And uh, I hope that's the, the case. Um, I didn't, and with that, I'm going to wrap it up. I didn't get into uh, nearly as much as I wanted to. So I'll be back tomorrow. It'll probably be another one that's close to a half hour. Um, and I'll try and hit all the things I missed and some new things. And we'll go from there. So until then, everyone stay safe. <laughs>